0: You don't want to give of your good, hard-earned money so that that person can hear about Christ. But yet, when we are deliberate and strategic in doing these things, that's when God does the work. The word for work out, katargazomai, is a Greek word and it means not that you're adding to salvation, but that you're seeing something through. You're seeing it through. Specifically, seeing something through to completion is what Paul is talking about. He's saying to the church, you've been saved. Now, work it out. See it through. The whole way to completion. The completion of what? The completion of the days that the Lord has given you. See it through. Not settling one bit for where you're at today, but constantly pressing on. If these sound like Paul's words, it's because this was a big deal to him. You press on in order to see more people won to Christ, in order to see more people discipled in Jesus, in order to see more people baptized, in order to see more small children given the opportunity to respond to the Gospel of Christ. Not settling for a bit or a small piece, but you want to see it through to completion. the whole. You want the whole pie of, of Christ and not just a slice. Sad are the Christians who've been saved and then move on to the path of least resistance in their life, thinking that that's where God wants them. How can I be saved and then settle into a place where I'll never have to be made uncomfortable, there'll never be any challenges for me, there won't be any resistance in my life, and then I can remain comfortable, because surely God would just want me to be comfortable and well-fed and content right here in this track in my life. I can check this stuff off. Yep, went to church, read the Bible, uh, involved in a wonderful ladies' Bible study, doing my thing here. You know, we pray before dinner in my house. Surely we're good Christians because we're in this track of least resistance. And just to challenge us all this morning, because I'm not telling you something that I have not been beat up over all week. God is not content with that Christian. He's not. He says, if you've been given much, devote much. And he says this with fear and trembling. How, do you, how could you possibly say that I'm content in the path of least resistance and most comfortable spot, and I'm there in fear and trembling? Fear and trembling means several things. It means that your deliberate effort will bring upon you temptations and trials. I guarantee you that. As a pastor, as a as a missionary, as a as a guy who's just simply trying to raise my own family in faith in the Lord, the more obedient and the more strategic you strive to become in your walk with Christ, the more difficult the walk becomes. It will get harder the more obedient and strategic and deliberate you are. It's not, we think, whoa, I'm doing something right because it's not hard. Actually, it's, it's kind of just the opposite. Because then you'd have to say that the Apostle Paul was doing everything wrong. Because his life was nothing but hard. Stonings. The dude was darn near laid out dead multiple times. He was ostracized. He was hated by people both inside the church and outside the church. He was imprisoned over and over again and beaten over and over again. And yet his words, just all he could manage to say was, I am not worthy of this. I'm not worthy of this. This is my Lord's work and I'm not worthy of it. Fear and trembling means... That you don't want to fall short for God or His church. There's accountability there. You don't want to not only you not want to disappoint the Lord, but you don't want to disappoint His body as well. Working with fear and trembling means that you know someday you're going to face Him. You're going to face the Lord, and you. We don't like to talk about that as Christians, but you and I are going to be held accountable for what it is that we do with every single day of our life. He's going to call us into account for that. And it's not the kind of call into account that means that you're going to lose your salvation, but you will have to answer to the Lord for what you've done with what you've been given. Fear is a good thing. I think fear is a good thing. It's an understanding that the Master will return. And it's an understanding that I think is the crux of the parable of talents. Let me read you this in Matthew 25. You may be familiar with this parable, but it it drives home this point. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of The kingdom of heaven, and he says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But the one who had uh, received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. to give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, will be given, and to he who will have an abundance, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There, there's a couple very difficult truths here. First of all, God gives us talents. And he does actually concern himself over what you do with those talents. Do you invest them in the kingdom in order to move the kingdom forward? Or are you like the slothful servant? You you use fear of the Lord as a springboard to do more for Him. Or do you use fear of the Lord uh, in order to hide that which God has given you? And it is impossible to be a follower of the Lord and sit on what God has given you. can't do it. can't do it. So what do we do? We work work out what we've been given in Christ. The second point here is this. It's done with deliberate effort and it's done according to the Lord and His will. It's done according to the Lord and His will. just quickly want to drive this home by saying this. See, in verse 13, Paul told the Philippians, he said, for it is God who works in you both to will and work for His good pleasure. Working out your salvation, it looks like obedience to Him and not feeding our freedoms in Christ, not feeding our liberties in Christ, and not feeding our own personal desires in the world. When we have been given freedom in Christ, what that means is we are now free to serve Him best. We are free not to exercise sin, not to exercise disobedience, not to exercise slothfulness. We have been set free in Christ to serve Christ. We're no longer hampered by the question of You know, am I good enough? Am I saved? Now we've got that settled. Now we work it out by serving him according to what he wants. The language in the New Testament is not by accident. How many times does Jesus allude to himself as master and us as servants? But yet, at the same time, we're also friends, brothers. It's a beautiful image. It looks like obedience in our life. This is why, um, side note, this is why baptism is so important. From the very early stages of a person in their salvation, they make a decision not only to follow Christ privately, but they make a decision to follow Christ publicly. They say, the Lord has prescribed baptism this way. The Lord desires for me to paint a picture of my salvation, which is simply the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that has made me new. I am now cleansed in Him through the blood, through the work of Christ on the cross. The Lord prescribes the very first thing for a believer to do is to be baptized. So I do get fearful when I hear somebody say, "Well, I've followed Jesus privately, but I don't know if I'm ready to share him publicly through baptism." You know, I just I don't look good when I get wet or, you know, I'll be a little uncomfortable up there in front of all those people. What what you're doing right there is you're setting the standard in your life that it's more important that your will be fulfilled than the Lord's will be fulfilled. And I'll just leave it at that, except to say if you're in this room and you need to be baptized publicly, jump off the self interest train and jump on to the kingdom train. Let's make it right with the Lord so that He, everybody, can know that He and His will is the most important thing in your life. It's a matter of obedience as well as evangelism. And trusting in Him working in you and not simply your own self-abilities and interests. And the primary way we do this is not making things up as we go, but listening and being taught and led by the Holy Spirit. You want to know what God wants for you in your life, you can't know what God wants for you in your life unless you're in this. You have to be in God's Word in order to understand who He is. And then as you understand more of who He is, You understand more of what he expects of you and what he desires of you. The more you. There's stuff I do for my bride simply because I love her. It's not something I would personally choose to do, but I do it because I love her and I've made a covenant promise with her. The same is true with the Lord. There's stuff that you don't want to do or you may be uncomfortable doing but you do it because you love Him and because of what He's done for you. In John 16, the Lord Jesus put it this way. He said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There's you hold, we hold no position of authority in this relationship. We have no, we stand on no position of voice in this relationship. That which is the Father's has been given to the Son. That which is the Son's, and his desire has been declared to us through the Holy Spirit. It's our responsibility then to carry that out. Anything else other than that is disobedience. And you're like, man, Pastor, you're just being so harsh this morning. It's, I guess it just sounds harsh because in my mind, I, I have been. If you knew what a wretched man I am, like if you knew, if we all had a deep understanding of how absolutely abhorrent we are as creatures, how depraved we are and worthy in our sin of eternal damnation, and yet we've been saved by a loving God who had no business. He's not obligated at all to provide salvation for you and I. And He did it. And yet we sit on our hands so much of the time. And I know that there there are people that are making, and we're going to hear the story of one in just a second, there are people that are making a huge difference for the Kingdom of God simply because not of their own gifts and abilities, not because they are anything spectacular, but because they never got over their own salvation and they could no longer sit on their hands because it never even seemed like a viable option. Third thing Paul says to the church here in verse 14 of Philippians 2, he says, do all these things without grumbling and disputing. Now, I don't know what was exactly was going on in the church of Philippi, but it tells me this. Part of working out our salvation means that it's done um, in unity as a body of people. Nothing will kill the work of the kingdom more than a, a disgruntled and disunified body of people. I mean, we see it happen all the time. He says... Grumblings, grumblings. These are the things we say in quiet or behind people's backs, right? You hear about so-and-so? And And we really need to pray for them because blah, 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 blah. And we don't sound as bad because we said we really need to pray for them, but what we really want is not to tell people to pray for somebody, but just to get the bad news out, but to paint them in a, a bad light. Or we want to complain about somebody else and we want to try and coat it in a spiritual veneer so that you know, they look bad and we look good. Nothing will kill a church more than grumblings. As believers, we are responsible to relate to one another in a mature way. Talking about people behind their backs, not... Um, may our church never be one where there's a grapevine, or there's a uh, hidden uh, language, or a hidden... Uh, 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 click, or there's people who are in the know and people who aren't in the know and the people who aren't in the know hate the people who are in the know, that there's not a hierarchy. We're all the same, uh, we're all the same depraved, disgusting bunch of people, sinners before the Lord. Uh, and we're nothing apart from him. Paul says no grumblings, no disputings. What are disputings? These are open and sometimes hostile disagreements where people can't manage to relate to one another and discuss things in a mature Christ-like fashion. In an article that he wrote on church splits, um, Tom Rainer, who's the president of LifeWay, he listed several key reasons um, that churches split. And several of the key reasons were this. First was power grabs. People didn't like that one person had more position or authority or power within the church. So they rallied others around their cause. Another was a growing sense of entitlement in the church. People felt like they deserved something. Another was financial issues. And all these are very real things While financial issues can be important, there's a biblical way to address them. The other two are a result of just simply poor sinful attitudes that Paul was warning against to the church here. He's like, you guys, Philippi, that church, they're doing great things for the Lord. Continue to work out your salvation because if you really want to wreck the great thing that God is doing here, start grumbling about one another. Concern yourself more about what kind of voice or authority you have in the church. What kind of power you can consolidate. What position you hold. You want to ruin the work that God's doing? Prioritize your own interests above the work of the church. That'll kill it right away. And I'm sure in your mind, there are many of you in this room that can think off the top of your head of examples of this. You've seen this happen. Where churches just are cast away to the sidelines simply because... The people can't get out of their own selfish ways. The fourth thing about working out what we've been given in Christ is this. It's done in light of our witness in the world. The way we operate here is noticed by the world out there. It is our witness. The way we handle ourselves as a family is a witness to the world out there. In verse 15, Paul said, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You want to work out your salvation? Let's do it in a way that we shine as lights in a crooked and twisted generation. Now, this is a rhetorical question. No amening or shouting out any answers. But do we today live in a crooked and twisted generation? Absolutely. Absolutely. You'd be hard-pressed to probably convince many people in this room that we don't. Paul uses three words here to describe our desire to witness to the world. The first is the word blameless. All three of these words that he uses, they start with the, the prefix in Greek. It's the word "a," ah, meaning um, outside or without. So it's the word blameless, amemptoi, and it means above reproach. So nobody can bring accusation against you from the outside world because of the way you handle your life in light of them. Blameless. Then there's the word innocent. He said we operate as innocent individuals. Akeraioi, And it's a word that means unpolluted. Similar to uh, this word would have been used as a, a person would have been milling grain and down to flour, and then the last thing they would have done is they would have run the flour through a sifter in order to get the last of the impurities out of it, that there was nothing left. Completely innocent. Nobody could find fault in you even if they tried. And the last statement he uses here, he says, we are to be people without blemish. Amoma, it means without defect. Without defect. Now before you think, that's not me, I can't live like that. I'm a big fat screw up even when I don't want to be a screw-up, I end up screwing stuff up all the time. I mess things up. Dumb stuff comes out of my mouth. I trip all over myself. I say something that offends somebody. I mean, look, my primary language in my life, just being transparent here, is sarcasm. And I have to fight against Do I not? Fight against it all the time. Because, you know what? Most people, unless you know me really well, sarcasm is going to be an offense to you. And I'm I'm constantly trying to correct that in me because I know that there are many times where I'm just tripping all over myself, making a bad witness in a crooked and twisted generation because I think I'm being funny. And while I mean no harm, my words cause harm. So I get it. I mean, it's, it's tough to live like this. This is where the working out your salvation versus saving yourself thing is important. We can't make ourselves perfect. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, we are being sanctified. We are being scrubbed clean. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, if we strive towards these things, God honors that in the crooked and twisted generation in which we live. We talk as one in light of what Christ has made us. Too many times we're more concerned about looking like the world around us so that we don't offend them, rather than shining like lights in the world. Light casts out um, darkness always. Fifth thing here, how do we work out what we've been given in Christ? This is very quick. It's done by extending the message of eternal life. We have to be people who share the Gospel. We must. In verse 16, He says, holding fast to the word of life that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Holding fast to the word of life. It means simply that you hold in your heart the cure for that which is most devastating to everybody. Death. There's not a person yet ever in human history, minus one, that has been born into this world that never, ever left it permanently. You are born onto this planet. Inevitably, you will die. And someday, everybody is going to have to confront that reality. In this room, right now, this morning, however many adults are in here, 70 adults, we have 70 people that hold... The cure to that. Seventy people that hold the cure. And if every one of us, in the course of our life, were to lead just two people to Christ, we could have started three churches. And if those people had led just two people to Christ... You see where I'm going with this. It does, it's not advanced mathematics. It doesn't take a stretch of the imagination to think that if every Christian who came into this world simply led two people to Christ, what a difference we could make. Now sadly, that wouldn't keep up with the population growth. But if we did that, the church in the world, the evangelical church in the world could be the leader in media, media, We could be the leader in philanthropy. We could be the leader in um, everything. I mean, all these categories. In benevolence, in feeding the world. If the church would just, everybody would just share the Gospel and lead two people to Christ in their life. We hold the cure. And yet we think it's beyond us. Working out your salvation means Never settling and saying, well, that guy up there, the guy with the Bible that preaches on Sunday, he shares the Gospel. I come and listen to him. I've done my job, he's done his. Mm -mm. I don't want to pastor that church. Sixth and lastly this morning, how do we work out what we've been given in Christ? It's done, as Paul alluded to, through personal sacrifice. The last things he said here is, I am poured out as a drink offering. Poured out. Sacrifice of faith, he says. Now our mind, when we think of rock star Christians, always goes to those who have given up so much to go to a foreign land and share the gospel. And that's part of what this mission emphasis is about. Um, And just to give us all a frame of reference here this morning as we kick off, I wanted to share the story of one of those families. Um, And as we set a goal and we take up an offering over the next couple months, every dollar, every single dollar, 100%, that comes into our offering plate will go to make missions like this happen. Let me introduce you to one. Of the families that's the recipient of your giving here. Go ahead, Ben.
1: When I first came, I thought I was capable for the task. There were so many different things that I had to die to and realize I have no power to do these things. I'm just asking God to do for them what I cannot do. Show yourself to your people. Show up. We wanted to go to where there was lostness, northern Mozambican coast, the centuries of Islam that were there, witchcraft. My first thought is, what have I done? How am I going to be affected? This is the beginning of a battle. We came in 2004 with my one-year-old firstborn. All of our kids come and minister together with us. Children open the door to build those relationships with the women, how to share their faith, how to reach out to their families where it was much more close to the gospel. But there is a sacrifice involved. Witchcraft in this culture is what sustains their life. Who you marry, your health, whether or not you catch fish. Infant mortality rate is high. They live in fear of something happening to their children. When people come to Christ, for them it is a life and death decision. Is this worth my life? Adelina was a very well-known wish doctor After about a year and a half, we're getting ready to pray, and Adelina just says, I want to get rid of my witchcraft and take down the witch doctor hut. So Sunday afternoon, after church, when that wall fell down, it was just a complete release to God. I no longer need to be afraid of these things. (laughs) Our work in the local village has spread across the bay through the influence of of family members. They have made professions of faith. We're starting to see national believers go out as missionaries through persecution, through hard times. God has galvanized their faith far beyond anything that I could teach. Be still and know that I'm God. Adelina starts telling her story about how she has new life in Christ. (laughs)
0: When I was in the city, a and in
1: God has been faithful to show himself in ways that I never would have expected him to show himself. It's only the work of the Holy Spirit that tide is turning and momentum is building that God's kingdom is coming to this coastline.
0: How many foreign missionaries Nancy in the field? 3800. Uh interesting thing, we had near 5000 about a year and a half ago, right? 50 more this month. We had uh, over 1,000 more the Southern Baptists. And because of the changing global climate and uh, economic position and stature and uh, the global economy and uh, giving locally, um, we had to decrease that number through um, early retirement opportunities and things like that down to 3,800. This past year, our church gave a record amount to missions. This past year, uh, a record amount more than ever given before to international missions occurred in Southern... Ever. It was to the tune of... Do you know the number? I mean, like it's crazy amount. Yeah, $84 million was given. So we commissioned 50 more. And we commissioned 50 more. Uh, The biggest... Missionary agency in the world is Southern Baptist, doing work like this. People who simply pack up their one-year-old, they go and they learn a new language, and they arrive on the northern coast of Mozambique to share gospel with um, uh, Muslims and witch doctors. You say, well, that's not me. I mean, look, I'm just sitting here. I I work in a cubicle, or I I have a business here. That's not me. I can't do that. My first question would be, why not? What kind of God do you serve if the only reason you can think to do that is because you work in a cubicle or you don't have enough money? But if God's not calling you to it, I do know what God is calling you to. He's calling you to be a missionary and ambassador for Christ where you are at here today. So a a giving tree, or sharing the Gospel with the person that sits next to you during your work day, or taking somebody out to lunch who's struggling in their marriage. That is being... An ambassador for Christ. Paul said in Romans 12:1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This should sound exactly like what we've been preaching this morning that he told the church of Philippians, the will of God. He's talking about renewing your minds, confronting the Word, being obedient and living out a, a, a holy and living sacrifice. We think that to be sacrificial and willing. And to be poured out means that we have to become like one of these foreign missionaries. And and maybe that is the case for you. I mean, I remember a day where I specifically heard from the Lord that I was to leave that which was most comfortable to me and take my family and come here and start this church. But the reality is that it's the daily endeavor no matter where you are. Last verse this morning, Luke 9 Jesus told everybody, He said, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for My sake will save it. To whom much is given, much is required. What is required? It is for us, church, to lose our lives for Christ. I um, I just believe in all my heart with the potential of who we are as a people. I think that the sky is the limit. I, you would not believe the crazy ideas that go through my mind all the time and I hear some of the crazy ideas that go through your mind with regard to what we can do for Christ. Why are we not a church that reached the deaf community? Why are we not a church that reaches those who struggle with learning or physical disabilities? Do you know that our International Mission Board has a worldwide ministry to the Deaf, do they not, Nancy? As a, as a trustee on the International Mission Board, that's one of the missionary, or that's one of the mission works that Nancy is entrusted with. The worldwide Ministry to the Deaf. Why is there not uh, an active ministry to the agricultural community? Do you know in the state of Pennsylvania, we're getting ready to start another biker church? Do you know what a biker church is? I mean, can you imagine such a place? It's it's where you roll in with your Harley and uh, uh, an hour, you know? Sing some old hardcore heavy metal that's maybe been retrofitted with a Christian message and somebody preaches the Gospel, and then those people get on their Harleys and they go out and they share the Gospel with the rest of the biker community. The sky's the limit as to what Christ can do through us if we just make ourselves available. So as we, as we wrap up the message, I wanted to ask Nancy to come. Hey Rich, could you turn on wireless... Uh, I want Nancy to be able to share about our mission's emphasis. And this is Wireless 1. The work is big in front of us. We can do it. We can do it. I dream of a day when each one of us shares gospel with two people and we look out here and we're no longer a church of 100 people, we're a church of 300 people. And uh, But I do know that the work that we're doing now is big and God has so much more in store for us. Let's use the next couple months to really hone in on that and uh, if you got those crazy ideas, or like Nancy said, now's the time for you to step out in faith and test God. Let's do it. In February, our goal is $3,500. $3,600. What's $100 to God? He owns the cattle on 10,000 years. $3,600 to give to our North American and foreign missions work. I've been a recipient of it, honestly. That... There was a church somewhere that was this size when my wife and I were planting this church. And they set a goal of thirty-five or $3,600. And they met that goal. And that $3,600 paid for health insurance for my wife and I while we were planting this church. It put food on our table. It makes a difference, church. It makes a difference. So let's endeavor to do the big things for God.